Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kyle Hubbard. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. Thank you, Dad. Good morning, everyone. Before I start, I want to pray. Oh, yeah, if you didn't get the notes, just slip up your hand and Miss Kathy will find you eventually while she's passing out those notes. Really felt strongly to pray for anyone in the room who may be struggling with tormenting thoughts, tormenting thoughts. I myself have been delivered from tormenting thoughts and extreme season of just the most evil, wicked, tormenting thoughts you could imagine. And it's no fun place to be in when the enemy is assaulting your mind. So I just really felt strongly from the Lord just to speak peace over everyone's mind before I started so that you can receive the word because it's really hard to receive if you have tormenting arrows in the spirit going after your mind. And so you don't have to raise your hand, but let's just all close our eyes and open up our hands right now and just receive extra measures of peace. We can always use the aggregate measures of blessing and peace from every single prayer, so let's just receive that. But specifically those right now, Lord, that have tormenting thoughts, the enemy is assaulting their mind. Jesus, I lift these up directly to you, and I speak peace, peace over every single mind in the room. I speak your blood over every single mind even watching online, those in their living rooms, dealing with tormenting thoughts. Peace, peace from Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen. Amen. Well, the title of today's message, it'll be up on the screen, is The Universal Call to Salvation and Satisfaction. The Universal Call from Jesus in the Old Testament here to salvation and satisfaction. We're going to look at just two verses today from the book of Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah. He was 700 years before Jesus. And if you were to ask me, Kyle, what's one book of the Bible that if you could only have one book for the rest of your life, God forbid that that would happen, but it might happen in a couple decades where we might get slipped a little book of the Bible or a few pages, I would want Isaiah. That would be the one book of the Bible that I, if I had to choose one, it would be that one. This is how important and impactful and deep and rich this book has been to my Christian walk and experience. And so we're only going to go over two verses, like I said. They are packed full of incredible truths. And we're going to see here clearly that these two verses, it's the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ speaking through Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was actually arrive on the scene as a zygote in a 15-year-old woman in, in Bethlehem. This is the Spirit of Christ speaking through Isaiah, inviting the entire world into his family, into salvation, into sanctification, and ultimately to satisfaction. We're going to see in just these two verses, I see the entire Christian experience encapsulated in these two verses. Salvation sanctification, 
and ultimately abundant satisfaction, abundant joy, abundant peace in him and him alone. That's how powerful the word of God is. If we have two verses, we can make it. And we might only have one page, like I said, in the underground church in China, if they get one page of the book of the Bible, oh, they treasure that. They treasure that like a, a $10 million inheritance. And we would do well to treat the Bible the same way, amen? So let's read these two verses, and then we're going to take a magnifying glass over every single phrase in here. And hopefully we can get through the two verses. If you're in our youth group, you know this is standard on Wednesday nights. It's usually a verse or two or three. I have planned to, to go over a whole psalm, and we get, might get through one and a half verses. So, Lord willing, we'll get through all of it. Amen? <laughs> all right. So, here are the two verses from Isaiah. But remember, it's Jesus speaking through Isaiah. So, we can think of these as like red-letter verses. He says, ho, or hey, listen, oh. That's what he's saying. Everyone. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, come to me, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Verse 2, why do you spend money for what is not bread? And why do you spend your wages for what does not satisfy you? Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. That's the end of the story we're going to see today. Our souls are going to be allowed. We're going to give permission to our souls to be satisfied with the abundance that comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. So I want us to think of this verse. We'll go to the next slide. I want us to think of this verse with this picture. This is a picture the Lord gave me to encapsulate this verse. Really, this is Jesus knocking on the door of every human heart that's ever lived. He's knocking on the door of 8 billion hearts right now. And he has knocked on the door of billions of others. How many other, other people have lived in the world? He's knocking on the door of every human being's heart with his right hand. And in the other hand, he's got an abundant life of full divine pleasure full divine satisfaction. Everything we could ever need in our interior life and even our exterior life, that's in his left hand. He's coming as a, a super father in the spirit with everything you could ever need, the best inheritance you could ever imagine in his left hand. And he's knocking on the door of every human heart. And we'll see that it's our job in these two verses. I found at least nine conditional attitudes or steps of obedience that are our job in order to welcome Jesus into our lives, really in nine different ways. So I, I thought of these nine conditions or attitudes or steps of obedience as like door handles that we can let Jesus in with this abundant life of divine pleasure and divine satisfaction. We have nine steps of obedience, nine door handles to turn to let Jesus in. Do you know many of the promises in the Bible have conditions that we must meet in order to avail ourselves of the blessings and the promises that are on the other side of those promises? We have steps to play, steps to do, roles to play in order to receive 
that abundant life of divine satisfaction. We're going to see those, those nine door handles of obedience that we can turn in order to receive it. And we're going to see over, I said it, mentioned a little bit earlier, but the entire Christian life is encapsulated in these two verses. We're going to see that we're going to go from being dead in our trespasses and sin, hopeless in darkness. We're going to go from there to a spiritual newborn, a baby, craving spiritual breast milk, and then all the way at the very end to a stable, mature, pillar, radiant, fully satisfied in Jesus and Jesus alone. We're going to see that progression, but it takes nine door handle turns on our side. You know, Jesus never forces himself into the human heart. It's the one geography that Jesus has voluntarily chosen to not own in the universe. He owns every single corner of the billions of galaxies. He owns every single corner of this globe. But he does not own the territory of the human heart. It's staggering that he's given us the choice to receive him, receive his waters, receive his wine, receive his milk, receive his bread, receive his meat. But it's our, he's given us this, this incredible incredible, really sobering and fearful privilege to choose for ourselves whether we want life eternal or not. And so we're going to see this in these two verses. Let's look at them now. All right. Isaiah 55, verse 1, the first part. He says, ho! And I was looking this up. I was like, why is that word there? In the Hebrew, it's like, it's like, oi, hey. It's like a parrot getting their, their kids' attention. It's like, hey, this is really important what I'm about to say, so listen up. It's like I, I just picture a mom whistling for their kids in the yard to come back inside the house. This is what the Lord's doing. He's whistling to humanity to come into the Father's house with this. Hey, can anyone do the whistle with their hands? You probably could. There you go. That's what he's doing right now. She can't perform. <laughs> Well, we got it. So that's what that word means. And then he says this. He says, everyone, everyone, everyone. He's saying the entire world, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every person that's currently cursing me and murdering people, the worst imaginable human soul, he is inviting to come to his waters. Every single person who's ever had a pulse, <laughs> and probably even before a pulse when they're in their mother's womb, he is inviting them to himself. It's a blanket, carte blanche invitation to the entire world. Everyone, everyone, that family member who is so far from God, who you've lost hope on deep in your heart, you've, you've kind of lost hope, you've given up praying for them, he said, that person, I want. And so we see here, he is inviting, and what does that mean? If he wants someone in his house, or he wants someone at his wedding, he wants someone at his eternal party, that means he thirsts for them. You know, Jesus desires you. He desires you with all of his being. He gives his best for you. He gave his best for you. And he currently is giving his best for you. Every time you come to Jesus, he's giving his best. He's making eye contact with you 24-7. 
He doesn't show up half distracted, kind of on social media, whatever, whatever, kind of watching the game, but yeah, okay, yeah, okay I'll, I'll play with you in a few minutes. No, he gives his best. We're his prize. We're the pearl of great price that he sold the field for. He sold heaven's riches that maybe he'd have the chance for Debbie. And he's done it for the whole world. He's inviting, inviting desiring. I said earlier, I dare I say it again, he's thirsting for every single person to come to him. And so since there is a divine thirst for humanity, a divine enrapturement with humanity, <laughs> because of that, the next phrase, he's inviting us. He's inviting us to meet his thirst with just a little measure of our thirst. And this is going to be our first condition of those nine door handle turns. This is our first one. Because God is thirsting for all of humanity, all he requires for this first step, which will lead us to salvation, is just a little measure of thirst. He says, hey, everyone who thirsts, this is his only prerequisite for salvation is a thirst for a better life, a thirst for something real, a thirst for something true, a thirst for something lasting, a thirst for something that won't fade away like those flowers fade away at the end of every spring when it gets 110 degrees in Austin, Texas. A thirst for something that lasts, that is not temporary. A thirst for power to overcome your addiction. A thirst for true, meaningful relationships with someone and even someone in heaven who really gets them. This is the prerequisite for salvation here in the first part of Isaiah 55, verse 1. Thirst. And I'm so, I'm so stirred to pray this simple phrase over our region. Over the 55,000 souls that make up Lake Travis, the 2.5 million people that make up the Austin region... I am so stirred to pray for thirst because I know that a simple, albeit real, thirst for God will lead them to him, especially when we come to them or they come to us asking for the answers. We know the source of what he's about to invite them to, the waters. We know the name of those waters. We are so in the advantage of, as people who know God to invite people into lasting, meaningful, eternal life. So let's pray for thirst. My favorite story of thirst leading to the next part, which we'll go over in a second, coming to the waters. I had the great privilege of serving this missionary family in Israel back in 2014, right at the beginning of my Christian walk. And I heard the testimony from the mother of this family over and over again, and it still blows my mind. She was a Jewish woman born in Jerusalem, completely against Yeshua, completely against Jesus. She was taught all growing up that Jesus was like totally against the God of Israel, that he was like even like an antichrist figure. You wouldn't even name his name because it was a curse. That's how strong the satanic deception and rage against the Jewish people knowing their true Savior is. They don't even say his name. They say it in a different way that says, may his name be blotted out. That's what she was taught growing up. Well, God grabbed her husband with himself. He found an old King James Bible and started reading it, and he came to faith. The mother of this family is so upset 
that she's losing her husband to this God that she doesn't believe in, this, this God that she's been taught to curse. She's so upset that one night, in this upset but also thirsty question to, to the, the universe, she said, Jesus, you're taking away my husband, but I don't even believe if you're real. Like, I don't even believe that you're real, but you're taking him away. He's like different. He's, he's spending all of his time in the Word. Like, he, he's not really even, he's just a different person, and I don't really like it. Because you're taking away my, my fun, whatever, husband. And so she, she cries out in this place of thirst to know if he's actually real or not. She said, Jesus, if you're real, I don't believe you are, but if you are, would you show yourself to me? So there's some thirst in there to know what is, what is this all about? What has taken a hold of my husband? The next morning, I have a little picture of a lady looking in a mirror. The next morning, <laughs> so wild. She is washing her face in the mirror, probably forgetting about the question that she asked. Washing her face in the mirror. She clears it off, looks in the mirror, and behind her, she sees in the mirror, behind her is Jesus in the flesh with a crown of thorns on. He appeared to her in his suffering, literally in the flesh. This was an open vision, but even more than that, it was a real man that appeared to her. She's looking in the mirror, she's like, and she's like thinking she's hallucinating. She turns around, he's there. That's what God will do with simple thirst. That, that desperate cry, that thirsty cry, are you real? He might not show up that dramatic, but God knew what that woman needed in order to believe. So over the next six months, whenever this Jewish woman had a question or a prayer, Jesus would show up in the flesh and talk to her as a man talks with his friend. And she is one of the most peaceful, joyful, radiant, amazing people I've ever met. I'm like, why is she that way? It's because she was face-to-face with Jesus for six months. And now she has to access him by faith like all we do. <laughs> like, we don't see him, but we kind of hear his whisper. She has to do that now. But for six months, she had face-to-face encounters with Jesus. So let's pray for thirst. Let's pray for that first step that every human has to obey. And how do we obey that thirst? So many people have thirst, but then they're led into all these different other streams, these different world religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, New Age, whatever. They're led to all these other things, so we have to give them the name. Thankfully, she had the name to call on because her husband, husband's heart had gotten grabbed a few months prior. So that's the next step for anyone who's thirsty is come to a certain unique fountain in the Spirit. There is one certain unique fountain in the spirit that can purchase our souls eternally for heaven and give us eternal life and meet that that thirsty desire for meaning, that thirsty desire to live forever. And not just live forever, but actually have an incredible life now as well in the Lord. So that's the next door handle turn for every human from this verse, is you actually have to come to these unique waters that Jesus is inviting us into. He says, "Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters that I offer. Come to the waters that I offer. And I was wondering, why is it plural? And the Lord's like, I'm plural. (laughs) I'm a father. I have the son, and I have the spirit. Come to the waters that the Father offers. Come to the waters that Jesus offers. Come to the incredible waters that the Holy Spirit fills us with now on this side of eternity. 
Come to the waters of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and your thirst will be quenched. Your thirst for real, meaningful life, for something lasting, they will be quenched. You will be cleansed, just like pure water. My dad mentioned earlier, pure water cleanses us from Hebrews. It cleanses our souls, and we're now made alive. We're made alive now, and we're made alive forever. So once we obey these first two door handles, we open them up, we thirst, we obey our thirst, we come to the name, we come to that unique fountain, we are born again, and now we're a helpless spiritual newborn in need of milk, and we're going to see in a second, we're in need of wine before we're in need of milk. Yes, you heard me correctly. Every new mother, feed your baby or put, put wine in that bottle before you put milk in that bottle. No, I'm kidding. It's in the spirit. We're going to see in a second. But God mentions wine before he does milk, and there's a reason for that. So let's go to that. Okay. So he says, everyone, come to the waters, the waters of salvation, and then once you've You've drank of these waters of salvation. You're, you're alive. You're a new spiritual baby. There's a next step. He says this, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, before we get to wine and milk, let's look at this really obscure uh, qualification that the Lord gives to, to his spiritual grocery store. You know, God has a spiritual H-E-B at all times. It never runs out of power. Its shelves are never cleared by hoarders. He's got a spiritual H-E-B that we can come to. But you know the necessary attitude, it's going to be our third door handle, the necessary spiritual attitude and the necessary things in your pocket that you must bring to God in order to get his wine, to get his milk, to get his bread, to get his meat, you know what you need to come to God? Voluntary spiritual poverty. You mu- we must come to God with nothing in and of ourselves, none of our own righteousness, none of our own good deeds, none of our own, oh, we've made it. We must always come to God in a low place. A place of voluntary humility, knowing we are nothing without him. It's John 15. Without him, we can do nothing. Without him, we are nothing. But with him, we can do everything. And with him, we are everything in him in a holy way. We can accomplish anything he calls us to and more in the grace of God. Whatever with him, we, we can do whatever. Nothing is impossible for us. But before that, we always must access all of his riches, all of his spiritual bounty in that spiritual grocery store, we must access it on our faces, so to speak, saying, God, I'm nothing without you. I am absolute. I cannot do anything. I cannot speak another phrase. I cannot even sing another song without you enabling and empowering me by your spirit. God can't deny someone who comes to him in humility, in poverty, Knowing they're nothing. Not saying, hey, God, look at all the ten great things I've just done. Will that make you give me more stuff? No. It's, it's recognizing who is God and, and us that we are not God. That's what he requires to receive this wine and milk and bread and meat that he's about to offer us. Humility. Knowing we're nothing without him. And this is tough, guys. This is a tough place to be. He allows me to come to this place of spiritual poverty every single day, and I still hate it. 
I hate not being strong in my flesh. But I know it's the only way to access the riches of the kingdom of heaven. What did Jesus say first in Matthew 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit, or those who know they desperately need me. For what? What's the blessing attached to that? Theirs is, right now and forever, the kingdom of heaven. All of the spiritual bounty and riches of the kingdom of heaven are accessed by an attitude of spiritual poverty knowing we're nothing without him. Y'all got that? That's the third door handle turn. And we can really only know this after we're saved. That's why it's mentioned third here. It's after the new birth experience. We're so prideful before Jesus, we're still prideful after him. (laughs) But every single day, if we allow him to, we will keep going lower and lower and lower. And at the same time, mysteriously, he lifts us higher, higher, and higher as we go lower. Amen? All right, so in that place of spiritual poverty, we're now in a place to receive. It says buy here, but that really means receive because we have no money to give him. We have nothing to offer. So we receive freely his wine and his milk as spiritual newborns and continually as we walk in our Christian faith. So what is the wine? It's pretty clear from the New Testament record. The wine is primarily his blood. It's the blood of Jesus. After we're saved, you know it's illegal? It is illegal for unbelievers to take communion. And it's illegal for us to take it in the wrong spirit. Unbelievers, people who are not alive in Jesus, cannot take communion. It's real. But once we are a believer, we're in a place to receive his blood, receive his lifeblood. I mentioned it earlier, wine has a lot of properties. Wine in the natural makes us more peaceful. That's why people turn to alcoholics, because they find some good peace temporarily, and then they just keep drinking, it turns really, really bad. Law of diminishing returns. But in the spirit, the wine of his blood brings the peace of Jesus. He says, you know what he said? He says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. That quality and quantity of the very shalom of Jesus, the peace he walked in, the complete serenity in the spirit that he walked in, He offers it to us freely through his blood. That's the spiritual wine that he's offering every new believer and every continuing believer as often as we take it. We need peace? Drink his blood. Drink the wine of his blood. It will create a shalom in your inner being that you could feel. I feel it often when I take communion. And with wine, there's law of diminishing returns. you got to drink three, four, five glasses to get the same effect that one had before. But in the spirit with his wine, the Lord showed me this, there are aggregate effects of blessing. Every time we take his wine and and eat his body, eat the flesh of his his body, there are aggregate effects of blessing. It just keeps adding on on and on and on in a positive, good way. It's the complete opposite of the wine of the world. Isn't that amazing? So we receive the wine of his blood. We receive his peace. And what does wine also make people in the natural? It makes people happy. That's what I used to go. I used to go to alcohol for a lot of things before the Lord delivered it, delivered me of it. But it makes you joyful. It makes you free. It makes you happy. His wine, the wine of his blood, increases our joy. He said also in John, my joy I give to you. My peace and my joy I give to you. How, what are the means that he gives it to us? His blood, his wine. So we receive it early after we're a believer, and we receive it often, as often as we want to, 
Now we receive his peace and his joy through his wine. And overall, what does this, what does this mean? Scripture says that life is in the blood. So after we're a new believer, a spiritual newborn, we receive his blood. It means we receive his very life, the divine life of Jesus, which comes in and replaces our old life, our old desires. And it happens a lot of times gradually. But remember, there's, there's the aggregate effects of blessing that come every time we obey him and take communion. We receive his divine life that purges out our old life. Oh, it's so good to come to this spiritual grocery store with an attitude of poverty and receive his wine. Next, we receive his milk. This is so clear from Hebrews 5 and 6. What is the milk that he's offering us? And just know it's unpasteurized raw milk in the spirit. It's got all the nutrients still intact. (laughs) That's a little joke for people who are like us. (laughs) But we come next and receive spiritual milk. Hebrews 5 and 6 clearly tells us that spiritual milk are the elementary principles or the foundational truths of our faith. It's it's mentioned clearly in Hebrews 6. It's salvation, baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection, and eternal judgment. Those five things form the pillars, the foundation of our Christian life. And once we're born again, once we receive his blood and his body, we are now hungry, just like our spiritual, or not our spiritual, our real newborn is hungry for milk. She's hungry for milk. She's rooting around looking for it. Every spiritual newborn should have a hunger, a thirst for the milk of what is this new life? I want to get more language. I want to get more understanding. I want to get more revelation. What does it mean to be a believer? This is a whole new world. I can see the leaves on the trees like you, when you put the new lenses on. It's a whole new world. i got to find out what this means. Well, God offers us milk before he offers us bread and meat. And the milk, are the, like I said before, it's those five things. It's the foundational truths of our faith. And how do we get those? Just like a newborn is hungry and searches them out, be hungry, be thirsty, search them out. Get yourself in a community of faith, a community of discipleship. Seek out resources like Derek Prince's Spirit-Filled Believer's Handbook. This covers all five of those pillars in incredible detail. And the Lord showed me this. This is kind of sober and serious, but if you're not hungry to grow, I, I am... I don't want to be the Lord, but I doubt that you are actually genuinely had a conversion experience. I don't have to doubt that Maple is alive because she's hungry. She's, if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not like just going for it, earn the Lord and you know what you did. There's that milk that he offers us at the end of verse 1, right? So again, there's no condemnation, but let's Let's really, let's see if you're saved. Test yourself to see if in your faith. Are you hungry and thirsty for him? That's a sign that you are. It's a good sign. Amen? All right, let's move to verse 2. Praise God, we're getting through it. All right, (laughs) so we've gone through, we've gone through salvation, the new birth experience, some sanctification, receiving his body, receiving his blood, receiving the milk. We're growing. We're now in the place that we're a spiritual toddler now. 
We're being weaned off the elementary principles, the foundational principles of his word, and now we're ready for some solid food that he offers us in verse two. But before he offers us solid bread, solid meat, he asks us, Jesus, through Isaiah, asks us a piercing question that has kind of, in a holy way, haunted me, this question. And I can see areas of my life still that this question is relevant to. Isn't it amazing how relevant the Bible is? These words written 2,700 years ago to a completely different culture, they're so relevant to my heart today. They help me so much. I'm so thankful for his word. But what's the question from Jesus? It's this. Why do you spend money and or time, because time is money, (laughs) why do you spend money and time for what is not bread? And he asks another question that's similar. Why do you spend your wages for what does not satisfy? And he's not speaking of natural bread. He's not speaking of actual food. He's speaking of our soul's deeper desires, our interior life. Why are you buying things that don't meet those seven deepest longings that we'll go over at the end that I've put in your heart for myself to meet? God has put inherent deep longings in every single human that he desires for himself to meet. But we, distracted by the culture, distracted by demons often, distracted by others, distracted by our own flesh, are purchasing things that don't actually feed our souls. The analogy right here the Lord gave me, why do you spend money for what is not bread? Imagine, think back to the time that you were your most hungry. Maybe you were fasting. Maybe you were a little kid and you, you missed one meal on a road trip, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm about to die if I don't have that McDonald's Happy Meal. Can we pull over at the next McDonald's? Whatever you were your most hungry, (laughs) imagine that time. There's a nice, free piece of bread, of homemade sourdough bread, or of nice roasted pork shoulder like my mom would make. There's something delectable right there being offered to you for free. On one table. Then on the other table, there's a Michelin car tire that you have to pay $200 for in order to to get it. What Jesus is saying here is you're choosing to eat a Michelin car tire instead of the amazing meal that I prepared for you for free. You're so hungry, you're so famished, you're so malnourished, and you're chewing on a piece of rubber. That is not food, unless you're a billy goat. What was that book I read? Growing up, there was a billy goat that ate t- car tires, and I was fascinated by it. I think they still do that. Billy goats eat anything. But we're not billy goats. We're humans. We need good sourdough bread. We need pork shoulder <laughs> to satisfy our physical bodies. The same thing in the spirit. We are chewing on car tires that the world is offering us, expecting our souls, the deepest longings of our souls, which is to be accepted, loved, enjoyed, liked, to have significance eternally, a lasting impact. All of those deep longings, we're expecting these certain things in the culture to meet those needs, and they're just not, it's not bread. It's not real bread. Jesus is about to define what real bread is in a moment, but before that, he asks another question. Why are you spending your wages for what does not satisfy? Story time. When I was 17 years old, I worked at Powell's Mandarin House, a Chinese restaurant, still going today, Love their food, not the healthiest, disclaimer. Great Chinese food, though. 
I'm delivering all, all junior year in the summer. I get this brilliant idea as a 17-year-old that I'm going to use all of the wages, all the earnings I've made delivering Chinese food and buy a jet ski. I'm going to buy a jet ski because deep down, I didn't really understand what was going on. Deep down, I had these deep, inherent longings, these desires to be liked, to be accepted, to be loved and enjoyed, to have many friends that love, like, and accept me as a young person. We still have those same cravings today. They're never going to leave us. They're good cravings, and God wants to meet them with himself and with community. But I thought, if I can get a jet ski, I'll be the cool 17-year-old at Lake Travis High School. I'll be the dude, the young dude with the jet ski that my friends can call me and like, let's go out, let's, let's tear up the lake. I thought it was going to meet my deep longing to be liked, accepted, loved, to have true happiness and true joy. Guys, I spent $1,600 cash on a used, broken down jet ski. <laughs> I got there to the body part shop where it was sitting in the back, all dusty, covered up, probably hadn't been ridden in years, but I was like, I'm still going for it. Guys, I got about two hours of kind of enjoyment out of that jet ski before it broke down, spent time, money, just heartache trying to get it fixed. It never really worked. And I think the last state of that jet ski was it was stored at my friend's dock. They didn't have enough room. This is how I'm remembering it. I think they had to sink it just to make room because it was in such bad shape. (laughs) But this is what we do. We buy jet skis, <laughs> maybe not that example, but in a very real way, there are jet skis in our life that we think are going to meet the deepest core longings of us, and they just don't. And that's what this question is meant to brought out. What are the car tires? What are the jet skis in your life? So here's our action step, which is door handle number six. Identify. Ask the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Pastor Glenn's not the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit. what are those car tires? What are those jet skis? What is the not bread in your life that you're currently spending time and money on? What are the things that don't actually satisfy? They leave you wanting more. They leave you in a worse state than what you started with. What are those areas? Let's ask the Holy Spirit to identify and eradicate those false counterfeit bread sources that we're giving ourselves to. A great current example Brooke and I had some time to ourselves, and we were sitting by the lake and just praying, talking to the Lord, and I was just like, Lord, I want your joy. Lord, I want your joy to fill me at a deeper level. And so then the Holy Spirit said, ask me, what are areas in your life where joy is leaking from you? What are the leaky areas of your vessel, the the time, the money that you spend where joy is leaking from your life? And Brooke heard from the Lord, was it me or you? Sometimes we don't know if we're married. We're one flesh. One of us, one of us heard in the spirit. (laughs) I saw myself scrolling on social media, the infinite scroll of the reels on Instagram and Facebook. It's what it's literally called. It's called the infinite scroll. They made it to where it never stops. So it's like, yeah, there's some entertainment. You laugh at some of those, but joy is leaking from you. That's not bread, Kyle. Those are not going to satisfy your deepest longings, that infinite scroll. This infinite scroll will. This is the infinite scroll of the word of God. Infinitely true, infinitely relevant, 
never going to fade away. The only two things that will last forever, this, every word, every jot and tittle, and your soul. Humans in the Bible are the only things that are going to last forever. So let's give ourselves to this infinite scroll and not find our joy leaking. That analogy was from someone at the International House of Prayer, by the way, so I want to give credit to Dean Briggs on that one. (laughs) But it's real. All right. So Jesus, as the perfect leader, we'll go to the next slide, and we're we're about to finish here. Worship team, you can come up. (laughs) Jesus, as the perfect leader, doesn't just ask us a provoking, convicting question and then just walk away. (laughs) I mean, he could do that. He's perfect. He can do whatever he wants. But Jesus, as the perfect leader, asks us a convicting, provoking question, but then in the next breath, he gives us the answer. He gives us the solution. He gives us the the opposite response for, for our souls of what our souls really need. And he defines what is actually, literally good bread for our souls, good meat for our souls. He defines it in these three quick phrases. So we would do well to really pay attention because this is what all the message is about, these last three phrases. This is our ticket to be a pillar, to be an abundant, life-flowing pillar, radiant, stable, fully satisfied (laughs) in him and him alone. So here is what Jesus defines as good and good bread, and it will actually meet our deepest longings. He says this, listen carefully to me. I love the simplicity of that phrase. There is one source of goodness, one source of satisfaction. There is one thing needed. There is one good part. It's to do what Mary did, to literally come at his feet, pause, put all the distractions away, put the laptop, put the phone. Even if you can, moms, put the kids away. Oh, moms, you need this. I need this. Please ask us to help you more to get in this place because this is the only 100% truly good bread for our soul is to pause. I'm sitting down for a reason. To pause, sit at his feet, put all the distractions away and just listen to his word. Both written, those words in red and all the other words in the Bible, the written words and the whispered words of the Holy Spirit. Written and whispered That is the definition of goodness for our souls. The definition of what will nourish our deepest longings. It's not a car tire. It's the best, most nutritious, nutrient-dense bread you can imagine. It's sitting at his feet, opening the Bible, listening to his word, talking to him about it. But there's got to be a place of stillness for that. You can't do this on the run. This is not microwaved bread. This takes time. That's what the word carefully means. It means diligently, distraction-free, focused time, listening to his word, written and whispered. And then, door handle eight. Once we hear it, we must eat it. There's a difference between listening and then listening and eating or internalizing it. Just like you internalize your food, you, you chew on it and you let it go on the inside to nourish you, we must take the time to internalize, to chew, to meditate, to mutter, to mumble, to speak back to him, to whisper back to him whatever he's saying to us. 
I want to brag on my dad. He comes to me almost every single day with, hey, the Holy Spirit woke me up at 3.22 a.m. and spoke this phrase to me, gave this verse to me. Like almost every day he's got some fresh bread. I'm like, he's living this. This is real. He's hearing the daily bread. He's chewing on it. He's spending time, and I don't know how long he's been, but an hour probably plus listening to his word, chewing on it, speaking it back to him, letting it get on the inside. And once his word gets on the inside, oh, it becomes like that spring, like that everlasting pool of water, that everlasting bubbling brook that flows up out of us, and now we can be a blessing to others. But we've got to sit at his feet, listen to his word, both written and whispered, chew on it, meditate it, which means just Speak it, whisper it, talk it back to him. And then we internalize it. It gets on the inside of us. It becomes part of our DNA. It becomes part of us. His word becomes living and active on the inside. Just like that food becomes living and active and nourishes your body and your cells. And then last thing, he says this. Once you've done those two things, you're now in this advantageous position. You have put your soul, you have advocated for your soul by doing this. He says this, and let or allow your soul to delight itself in my abundance. That word abundance has a thousand implications. It's everything you need in those deepest longings. Let me need, let me meet your deepest needs is what the Lord is saying. Advocate for your soul. Give Jesus and his word a fighting chance in your life. That's what he's saying. I want, he's saying, I want your soul to be abundantly satisfied. I want divine pleasure, divine satisfaction to enrapture you every day. But there's one source that you can get it. It's listening to my words, chewing on them, internalizing them, speaking them back to me. Oh, it's so good. He's saying, give your soul a chance. Give your soul permission to find true delight. Do yourself a favor is what he's saying. And sit at my feet. Let's stand to our feet right now. Let's respond. Let's respond really to these last three phrases. Let's help our souls out by obeying this last phrase of Isaiah 55 too. I wanna help my soul out. My mom's taught me over the years, advocate for yourself, Kyle. Advocate for yourself. She advocates for me still a lot. She's still my mom. <laughs> But advocate for yourself. This is what the Lord is saying. I even heard in preparation, I heard that old song from Abba, which is, take a chance on me. Take a chance on me. You could probably all start singing it. Take a chance on me. That's what the Lord is saying. Give your soul a chance to be abundantly satisfied. Reject the car tires. Reject the, reject the jet skis. Reject that infinite scroll on your phone. And give me a chance to satisfy you. You're gonna be satisfied with the results. Allow yourself to become a satisfied customer. Give me a 30-day free trial is what he's saying. And see if you're not, you wanna keep going with this. So that's our action step. It's really simple. It's obey Isaiah 55, specifically verse two. Specifically verse two. If you're not born again and you're questioning that, obey the first verse first. <laughs> Obey that thirst in you and come to his waters again and make sure that you're saved. Make sure that you're in the faith. If you're not hungry for those elementary principles of the Lord, if you're not hungry to grow, that's a sign that there might be some trouble. But for most of us in the room, here's the action steps. Identify 
and eradicate the counterfeit bread in your life. Take some time even now. Take 30 seconds. Say, Holy Spirit, show me in my mind's eye, just like you can picture a purple elephant in your mind's eye dancing on one foot. You can picture, the Lord can fill your imagination with those areas that are like car tires and jet skis. (laughs) What are those areas that you need to identify and then eradicate, use spiritual violence to get them out of your life? And once you've rejected that table, made the choice, you can make a choice. God will always back up your choice for holiness with his grace. He always backs up your yes with his huge yes. Once you've done that, make a conscious choice over the next two weeks. It's it's a two-week trial from Jesus. That's what he's saying. Where you find the leaky areas of joy, the leaky areas of abundance, the leaky areas of satisfaction, like he showed us with the, the social media where you find those leaky areas, eradicate them, and then give me a chance. Obey these three steps, which we just went over. Slow down, listen carefully to Jesus' words, both written and whispered. Eat, chew, and internalize that good bread. It is the definition of ultimate goodness. And then allow your soul to delight itself in the abundance that will flow from his words. There is an abundant river of divine pleasure and divine satisfaction that flows from his words. Give your soul a chance. Basically, summing this all up, allow Jesus to win the battle in your soul for your attention, your eyes, and your satisfaction. Allow Jesus to win the battle for your attention and your satisfaction, and you will be, I believe, a satisfied customer after 14 days. Because I'm going to preach again in 14 days about how Jesus, Lord willing, meets the seven deepest longings of our heart. But I want you guys to have some fresh testimonies of how he's already met those seven areas in the next two weeks. I want you guys to come in already at a place of advantage because you've already taken Isaiah 55 too seriously and allowed him to meet your deepest longings. That's the last slide. He says, take a chance on me. Those are the seven deepest longings. We'll go over them in two weeks, Lord willing, and how he meets all of those deepest longings with his words and his presence alone. Give him a chance. So let me pray for you guys. Worship team's gonna sing, and y'all are officially dismissed unless my dad has anything else. We'll have prayer teams up at the front. Prayer teams, you can go ahead and come up and pray with people during and after this last worship song. Let me pray for you guys. Just open up your hands. Lord, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for these two verses that show us your heart. You desire our souls to be abundantly satisfied. So, Father, I ask that you would pour grace, grace to slow down, grace to pause, grace to sit at your feet and listen to your word. Grace to chew, to meditate. I pray for a greater meditation grace. Meditation on your word for this church family. Greater grace, I pray. Lord, and I pray that we would give you a chance overall. I pray for grace to give you a greater access to let our souls delight ourselves in the abundance that only you can offer. Father, give your church grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. 
To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend. 